0: Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett.
1: And I'm Juliette Starrett.
0: And this is The Ready State.
1: On this episode of The Ready State, we are delighted to welcome Katie Wells, who's the co-founder of wellnessmama.com, which is an online resource for women and moms who want to live a healthier life. And
0: let me just jump right in here, because it's not really an online resource for moms. It may have started that way, but really, what's amazing about this conversation with Katie is that she tells us and lays out some really actionable kind of plans, information about how to get my family to eat together, sort of solve some of these original problems around sleep, stress, you know, organization, things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, she offers tons of practical tips on her uh, Instagram and website, food recipes, um, tons of information about natural beauty products and cleaning tutorials and just general information that is super practical for busy people.
0: And I think that's really what you what you just nailed is the it's the busy part because I think as we are getting better at understanding sort of the salient and most important features of what it means to be a human I can't like I have to load that into my already crazy busy family and crazy busy schedule self.
1: One of the things I love about her is she is a mom of six, Six. so when she says she's busy, it's real. Um, She's she probably doesn't have time to do a bespoke morning routine. Um, She's managing a lot of stuff and a busy business as well. So, do
0: do you remember when? we uh, there was a time where we read the New York Times about like what those kids in Peru, those three or four year olds could do. Like by the time you were four, you could like hunt an animal, yeah. You could kill and, it, yeah. you could feed it yeah. to your family, and like make a fire, do all those things. And we we went home and we we're like, "All right, kids, it's on to you. Here's your knife." Yeah. And uh, I really feel like we've lost that a little bit, and our kids are doing good. But when you hear about what Katie expects of her family and how that makes the whole your process mind will be blown. Yeah, it makes the process easier and more complete, and really starts to get kids prepped to be able to manage their own lives, this is the future.
1: We've been huge fans of Katie for a long time and we're uh, so excited to share our conversation with you. Welcome to the Ready State, Katie Wells. We are so excited to have you. Um, For those of you in the health and nutrition sphere, she is best known as the wellness mama. And we are so excited to have you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And just a little caveat, we are recording this episode on our end inside of San Francisco CrossFit with a lot of weightlifting in the background. So apologies if you hear some heavy weights dropping.
0: Or uh, a a fired up Russian coach.
1: (laughs) I love Um, it. Katie, tell us about your website and how it is you came to be the wellness mama.
2: Oh, so um, I've often heard the saying that people go into psychiatry, for instance, to try to figure out what's wrong with themselves, and that was kind of the case for me. Uh, I was definitely not poised for this as my life's work at all. It was never something I thought was going to be on my horizon. Um, I was always the type A student, international studies and political science and journalism, and kind of was poised for that type of path. But it turns out that sleeping for only a couple hours a night for a lot of years during high school and college and being under extreme stress and eating really crappy school food is actually really terrible for you and a great way to get an autoimmune disease. So um, that's what happened to me. And I, I was searching for my own answers and realized there were other people also searching. And my husband encouraged me to start a blog. He was originally pushing for a political blog, which I am infinitely grateful I did not do, um, but started <laughs> like chronicling my journey and realized you, you there were a lot of other You women- far,
0: more, far more gnarly.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, but just realized there were a lot of other people, especially women, really struggling through the same thing. And it was right on the cusp of people just having a lot more awareness about natural living and clean food. And um, so I feel like I was in the right place at the right time for that. But I also feel like the community that built up was amazing. And that's what's really become so amazing about Wellness Mama and the website is not even just me anymore. It's so far beyond that. It's a community of women who are truly changing the world and who are changing purchasing decisions and who are changing policy decisions. It's amazing.
1: And, you know, just for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, um, I've been following you for a long time, but the wellnessmama.com is this amazing resource for women and moms. I mean, honestly, probably a lot of great information for dads too, but who want to live a healthier life. And the the topics you cover are broad. Could you tell us a little bit about sort of the range of things that you're working on?
2: Absolutely. So we cover everything from the food side, so tons of recipes and how-to, to to the natural living side. So a lot of um, both alternatives that you can buy or make to all your cleaning products or your personal care products. Um, the research is now showing that's actually a really large source of chemical exposure, even more so than food, um, because things are so easily absorbed through the skin. And so women especially are more at risk for that because we tend to use more personal care products. Um, also, just motherhood, mindset, pretty much all of the aspects of a balanced life. And my goal with everything, um, largely thanks to my journalism background, is to try to make every single post a simple answer to a single question so that if that's what you're searching for, it's an easy actionable step that you can take versus here's 93 things you need to do to change your health in order in the next two months. It's baby steps. And I feel like that's just much more doable for a lot of people.
0: We've heard a lot about this sort of behavioral change and how difficult it is for people to wrap their heads around some of these big, you know, first principle ideas. One of the things that's so remarkable what you guys do is you know, it really comes down to just fundamentals over and over again. One of the ideas that we're we're helping people wrap their heads around in this because this season we're really talking about youth and youth development and kids, and you guys have done such a good job of. I feel like centralizing this—the center of power—that recognizing that big government and big business maybe is not the, the place to make these changes. It really starts at a family level, at a, at a kitchen table level. Have you guys found that that has just been a, a much better way to start the revolution?
2: Absolutely. I have thought from the very beginning, since I became a mom, actually, I realized the power that women and especially moms hold and that like the power, like you said, of the kitchen table. And I realized that if you want to change the world, you change the moms or give them the power to change their own families. And so that's really been a large focus for us. But I also, in the last couple of years, uh, there's been an evolution that we're going to be really making a lot more on the forefront on the blog, which is, I feel like now the knowledge of the how-to and the why is there, but for a lot of people, it just feels like a ton more things that were added to the to-do list. And we've Mm -hmm. seen this evolution in the last two generations especially for women where we have all these amazing opportunities and there's women in business and that's incredible. The problem is nothing got taken off of our plates during that process. So we still largely, most women are managing the households, managing the children and are also emotionally, like um, Juliet, you'll probably know what I'm talking about, like emotionally keeping track of all of that all the time. We're the ones juggling the meal plan in our head or who needs to get where, when, or Christmas presents or All of that is kind of the emotional responsibility of the mom. And I realized women are so overwhelmed. They don't have the bandwidth to make societal changes because they're just struggling to get through the day to day. And that was very much my story as well. I started the blog and it was going great. And I created systems and it ran and it was wonderful. And we had a small team. And but in my day to day life, I felt like I was just juggling plates between the kids and the food and the activities and all the stuff that had to happen and I kind of was kicking myself going, why am I so good at the business side and my I just can't get it all done at home? And then I realized maybe because in business I have systems and plans and goals and measurables and at home I'm just trying to keep it all in my head and just do it all myself. And I would never do that in business because it's not even possible. So what if I systematize my home life and get the family involved and build it like a team just like I would with business and focus on efficiencies and literally revolutionized our daily life, and it changed my life. Like within two weeks, it was night and day. I have, I can say this honestly now I have three businesses, six kids, and on most days, I have no stress whatsoever. And I feel like that's the key that I really am passionate now about teaching people because I feel like so many people are now aware of the importance of eating clean food and the importance of living a more natural lifestyle. But it's the implementation of that, like you said, that's so difficult.
0: We do see, we see just parents really struggling to, you know, at the end of the day to get their kids to eat more veggies. This is like one more fight Mm -hmm. is the smallest detail, right? Get 30 30 minutes more sleep, get the phone out of the room. And we just, we hear over and over again, can you talk about this systematizing and impact it's had on your kids?
1: Yeah, and if I could, before you go into that, I just want to expand upon that question and, and also comment that, yes, I can completely relate to where you're coming from as a mom in terms of the emotional load and taking care of all the kids stuff and so forth. Um, But just tell us, just to feed off Kelly's question, tell us what those systems are that you created in your home.
2: Absolutely. And I'm going to be sharing this more and more in writing as well, because I know a lot of people are visual, but um, pretty much I went through every segment of our daily lives. So all the things in the household that needed to be cleaned or managed, um, the everything related to food, shopping, meal planning, cooking, um, everything related to the kids and their activities. And I literally wrote everything out. And then I worked backwards and figured out were there any of those things that I could hire help with, um, although largely I have not really done that much at all other than like handyman type projects, um, but what could I pass off to my kids? I realized at, at the time that I like almost essentially had a nervous breakdown when I was under that stress that I was trying to do everything for everybody in the house and that my kids were not getting these life skills they actually needed. Um, because I was doing everything for them. So I largely enlisted the kids in taking care of things that they were capable of. So we have a rule now that I don't do anything for them that they're capable of doing themselves, which means they do their own laundry, they clean their own rooms, they wash their own sheets. Um, They help cook meals because they're part of the family and we're in this as a team and we have long-term goals that we're all focused on. So that freed up a lot of mental bandwidth for me. Um, I still love the recipe and the food side, and that's also part of my sort of day-to-day with the blog. So I still take a lot of the cooking and the recipes on, um, but I enjoy that part. And so now I have more ability to focus on that and on work and on quality time with the kids as well. Um, But the factor I realized the most was it'll look different for everybody as far as the specifics of day-to-day. But if you can take that huge picture in all of those tasks and then assign them a time and a place, then you don't have to think about them when it's not their time and their place. So if it's not for me, Wednesdays, I don't do laundry, so I don't think about laundry. I know it's going to happen. I don't have to be stressed about it. Everything just is systematized. And any way that I can use technology to automate something or um, get the kids involved, I do that as well. And so I'm going to definitely delve more into the specifics in writing. It's easier to see my spreadsheets, for instance, than for me to like walk through them. Um, but Do you use like Google
1: share documents with your kids and you're like, okay, kids. And you know, can
0: I just add it? Can I get an amen? This is amazing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, amen, seriously. Because uh, I am
0: tired of carrying Juliet's load everywhere.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> I, uh, I I really love what you're saying just on a personal level because I definitely fall in the into the trap of just doing everything, um, and I love the motto that if they can do it themselves, they should do it themselves. And I, I if wanna, they're capable of it.
0: And I want to come back and just talk. We will. T- I want to hear how your kids have reacted to this. But since what we're really talking about is trying to create a better schema for having kids who are more self-actualized, who are better prepared for handling stress and rigors. What's really interesting about the natural evolution of towards of what you've said of just systematizing freeing up bandwidth is what you've really done is empowered your kids to become much better humans and more resilient humans. I mean, sort of we end up, you know, we were talking about human performance in our lives and then we were like, whoa, people can't put their arms above their heads. And then we looked around and you sort of end up at first principles first because you realize you can't have a conversation about Healthier meal times and eating more broccoli. If everyone's stressed and there's no time for that in the first place, right? I, I this is I, I really appreciate the fact that you're talking about getting your family more organized and and you know shifting the loci of control back so that you really end up with more stable, resilient kids. How have your kids handled this? Because I, I think. You know, Juliet just went away for the world championships for 12 days, Palin, she came back as another world champion. But what's interesting is that when she goes away, the girls I notice, my my 13, 10-year-old, really level up. Like, maybe it's because they're like, Dad can't handle it by himself. (laughs) Or Dad is like, you need to do this on your own. But they really take on the responsibility and become a little bit more sophisticated Right. And I, I feel like what you just told me is the same thing that's happening when Juliet went away. Like I was hyper organized, we get things done and our girls really can and are capable of doing more for themselves.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said is so important about creating more empowered, self-actualized children. And that was something that we realized kind of in that transition phase was that, um, for so many of us, I get it. Like we have to do our jobs. We have to do. We have to cook food. We can't. None of these things can go away. But unfortunately, the parenting side is something we tend to just have to do as we go, um, and we're not able to be as focused and centered and have long term goals with that because we're still all so much in survival mode. And so when we shifted out of that mindset, it really helped us also be able to focus on what are our long term goals for our kids and what skills do we want to give them before they leave our homes and realizing things like the goal of teenagers is to become independent. And so how can we empower them to do that, to take their independence? we Can't really give it to them, they have to take it. But how do we do that? And the response from the kids has been actually incredible. They really don't complain about what would be potentially considered extra work at all. I think they actually feel very valued because they very much are an important and valuable part of our family. And they know that the system runs better when we all do our part and it's easier. and so I would say that the response from them was a lot more positive than we were expecting. And it also freed up the bandwidth, like I said, to be able to plan more long-term goals with them. So for instance, um, because we homeschool, we have told them that they'll finish up their traditional school. They're all on track to finish up traditional school by about 13 or 14. And then our goal with them in the high school years is to do almost like an entrepreneurial incubator. So that they can start their own business and probably fail at a couple of those, but that we can be there and help them and mentor them in starting a business. And the contract we have with them is that before they can drive or get their own cell phone, they're going to have to have some kind of profitable business for one year. That doesn't have to be hugely profitable, but they have to show that they can manage money, that they can be responsible, that they can show up on time. And so we now have the ability to like work through those things and to create those types of opportunities for our kids, because we're not in survival mode. And they also have seen and have told me like, it's so much nicer to have a mom who can show up and be patient and calm versus a mom who's stressed all the time and rushing. So from from their perspective, it seems like it's been a completely positive change.
1: Well, and I would just like to um, emphasize, because it was just mentioned in passing earlier in the episode, that you actually have six kids. So um, I just want to sort of give you kudos for that. That Just that alone is amazing. Um, and then also comment that I think it's so interesting what you said, that it's just a like a given that we create systems inside our own business, but that it never occurs to any of us to actually systematize the home, um, or at least not in the same way that we would our businesses. So I love that. And I think um, there's probably a lot that, everyone can take away from that. Um, You said you include your kids in cooking, and I don't know if they're involved in shopping and meal planning and so forth, but I would love to hear about sort of what the food and nutrition situation is like, you know, broadly speaking in the home. I mean, who's shopping, who's cooking, what are you actually eating, and so forth?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I still do most of the shopping myself because I enjoy that, and it's kind of time away. Um, And I typically cook the dinners, but they are involved. Um, but other than that, they're largely self-sufficient. So in the morning, we all have our own versions of morning routine. And sometimes I have to respond to things from my team pretty early. So the kids are perfectly capable. They make their own breakfast every um, every day on their own. They help each other. They clean up after it, and then they get ready for school. And they also make their own lunch once they finish school. And so that part is completely handled by them. They give me the things that need to go on the shopping list. They even help with meal planning. Um, there's a really awesome online course called Kids Cook Real Food. And it teaches kids things like knife skills and how to saute and what recipe directions mean. So if they're reading a recipe, they know what saute means, for instance. Um, and that's been incredible because they, our oldest is 12 and they are completely proficient. They could actually completely cook dinner also if they on their own if they wanted to, but I still enjoy that one. So I haven't given it up yet. But um, from the food side, they manage all of that. So they'll get up and make omelets with vegetables in the morning and sometimes smoothies to go with it for extra protein and clean up after that. Um, for lunches, they'll do stir fries or salads or even like sardines, they'll eat those. Um, and so they really largely manage that. And then for to keep things easy on my end, I have typically a, um, a two-week rotating meal plan. So we'll alternate weeks. And then I have a pre-planned shopping list because it's the same foods with the exception of I'll have two nights a week that are for meal testing for new recipes. Um, And that way it saves me so much time with making the meal plans. I can just print off the the same meal plan or use it from my phone um, and just alternate weeks. So I only have to go to the store one time, which saves time. And then, um, yeah, like I said, they they actually largely manage the other meals.
1: And tell us a little bit about what you're actually eating for dinner. I think people would be curious to know.
2: Yeah. Um, So I am very much a fan of a wide variety of vegetables. From what I've researched, it's really drastic. The how much the variety of what we consume has gone down in the last couple of decades even, um, but certainly in the last hundred years. So we used to eat hundreds of different varieties of vegetables, herbs, et cetera, at any given time. And now most of us eat like 16 or less, and we just rotate those. And for most people, that's even like potatoes and tomatoes. It's not even anything green. Um, So I really try to focus on bringing in a variety of food. So we'll almost always have some kind of vegetable, or we, we always have some kind of vegetable. Sometimes it's roasted. Sometimes this time of year, we do a lot of soups, like vegetable-based soups with a ton of protein added. So um, that could be lots of fish. We love fish or meats, Um, but really just focusing on the vegetables. And that was something I was very conscious of when my kids were little because I saw so many other people and their kids and the kids would not eat vegetables at all. And I also saw the dynamic play out where I, I felt like kids felt like they weren't expected to eat vegetables at all because all kids' menus don't really include vegetables. And so I wanted to make sure that we were very intentional about exposing our kids to a wide variety of different foods very young so that they could develop a taste for all of them. So we'll also have things like olives for good fats or um, they actually love sardines. So we have those quite a bit. Um, and but so largely we like do a lot of stir fries, a lot of soups, and then a lot of like sheet meals with like roasted meats and vegetables all together just to keep the dishes easy.
0: I love it. You know, I feel like if we're going to untangle a lot of the mess that we're seeing around diabetes and uh, you know changes in, in obesity rates and even what you talked about being a stressed athlete, especially for young women, where we're seeing energy sort of availability problems for our young athletes who are you know stressed and at school and working hard and you know they're just underfed and not getting what they need creates a whole bunch of problems. Getting kids into this habit early on around Understanding sort of the commitment to food and, and the process and love as as a family value and letting that bake for years. I mean, I just I just can't emphasize enough how important that is to begin to untangle this web of just keeping it simple and and like you say, just you know starting with a few vegetables, you know, and and, and being really consistent with it.
2: Um, th- yeah, that was something else that I I realized with um, also once we. We've always eaten pretty natural, but once we really upped our vegetable and protein intake, I realized, first of all, how intuitive kids are with when they need to eat and when they don't and how much they can eat, um, but also just how much they're capable of eating when they're super active. And so that's been amazing to see as they've made their own meals because they're gauging how hungry they are and they, they cook for that. And to see like my just her nine-year-old can eat like seven eggs for breakfast some days, and I'm like, whoa, but it's amazing how in touch they are with their body.
1: Yeah, we, we've got a kid who doesn't eat that much for dinner and is not inclined to eat that much dinner. Um, but often we'll also eat like five eggs for breakfast or seven eggs. or So we're in the same boat.
0: One of the, you know, we're, we're talking about first principles. And one of the things that we've got to wrap our heads around as a community, as family, as, you know, at this granular level is sleep. And when we, you know, we hear all the times in kids who are struggling with depression or struggling with self-esteem issues or other issues, when, when sleep is part of that conversation, it turns out always to be disordered and that kids aren't getting enough sleep. I mean, we know that the athletes we work with don't even get the sleep that they self-report, and their job is to sleep. You know, the tech in the phone, the phones, the, the homework demands, friends, t- you know, I mean, I will readily admit that if I had the power of having texts in high school, I would have been sending sexy texts to all my boyfriends, right? All my guys. We, I just would have abused that. So I'm not saying that I'm better than my children, but I'm saying that it's a real problem to see all this technology disrupt sleep. How are you guys managing this in your family, because you guys have written a lot about this. And we just need to want to make sure that we're we're talking about it. And you guys have done such a good job of saying this has got to be straightened out as a family.
2: Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head with sleep because like, you know, I'm sure with the health aspects, if you aren't getting enough sleep, it actually largely doesn't matter how good you're eating or anything else. Like that can largely be canceled out by poor sleep and you have bad blood sugar levels you have bad stress hormones all of that suffers when you don't sleep enough and we all know that and still so few of us are actually getting really good sleep. And so for us, just some practical things that have helped with the kids, we don't do any screens after dinner. So we have a a family charging station in the kitchen and everything goes there. They don't have their own devices other than computers for school and iPads, but all of that gets charged in the same place at night. So nobody's on screens once it's family time. Um, And that also helps just on a cellular level, because if you're not being exposed to that amount of blue light, it actually improves your body's ability to create melatonin, which improves sleep. So we're really strict about the screen time and back to the systems that's really helped us dial in sleep as well. So just like we would set an alarm to wake up, we have really pretty strict bedtimes for both the kids and for us. And that's been key is that they're, they go to sleep on a schedule and they realize that we do too. So we're not being hypocritical by forcing them to have an early bedtime. And then we're staying up to all hours of the night. It's something that's a family value is that we prioritize sleep. And they know that. But I also think with kids, you do have to address the sleep environment because they are so sensitive typically to the environmental factors when they're sleeping. So whether that's things like too much light coming in or any kind of sound that can wake them up, um, making sure they're, you know, the very basics, they're warm enough or cool enough and and all that. So we um, have blackout curtains in every room that get closed at night. And that's made a really big difference in how long they will sleep and how deep they will sleep. And that's been well worth it. Um, for kids who specifically struggle with sleep issues, um, a tip that I always give, um, I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but there's a website called Brain Harmony, and they have this pillow, it's called a dream pad. And you can basically, it's got a bone conductivity aspect to it that helps like essentially create brain waves that mimic sleep and put the body into parasympathetic. And so I know a lot of parents, especially parents with any kind of, the child has any kind of learning struggle or processing disorder, those really help them to actually physically be able to get in the right state for sleep. Um, and so for a couple of hours that are especially really active, that's been key to helping them unwind and get to sleep. Um, also just, I found things, every child is so different, but some of mine really have to get enough protein at dinner if they're going to sleep and also good carbs. Like like, I tend to eat fewer carbs, but my kids are so incredibly active that if they don't get some kind of carbs from sweet potato or squash or something, they don't sleep as well typically. So, I make sure that at dinner they're getting both of those check boxes. And another mom hack I found is to keep um, like a really high quality organic raw honey. And give them kids can have like half a teaspoon to a teaspoon of that at night with a tiny pinch of salt, and that combination tends to help blood sugar stabilize and replenish glycogen and everything they need for sustained sleep. So if kids are waking up in the middle of the night, that tends to help.
0: No wonder I want to get up in the middle of the night and eat cookies. I just need to. just need, a little, <laughs> you need uh, a little honey and sea salt, baby. I think that's so reasonable. I really appreciate that. You know, we have we talk about screens. And in our family, and we have a, you know, we do a couple things like you say, we have our kids sleep in blackout with blackout curtains and an eye mask is really cheap. I mean, you can get if you go onto Amazon and look at the eye masks, they're just it's like a commodity now. So it's easy to get into a dark room. But the, I really like that you say screen time after dinner. What would you say? No screen time after dinner. What would you say about kids who have to work on the computer when they have high school demands or middle school, like sometimes our daughter, we eat dinner, but our daughter literally has to do her assignments on Khan Academy or something. How would would a parent wrap wrap their heads around that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's the practical stuff you can do to mitigate like using the Flux app on the computer or using orange glasses just for the blue light and the screen thing. Um, But I would also say like, just like timing wise, any ability to shift that earlier at all or just to have it be right after dinner versus later at night. even with the blue light blocking glasses and with flux screens really do seem to affect kids more. Um, and so I and obviously homework is homework and it has to happen, but that is a tough one. Um, but just any ability to shift it earlier at all would be probably really helpful.
0: So what I, well, just so I can wrap that up because we, we agree, but what you're saying is, Hey, look, manage it the best you can, and then get off it as early as you can. I mean, clearly, there's sometimes kids are coming home from some sports and can't have any control. But you're saying even just a pair of blue-blocking glasses and just thinking about the cost of melatonin and ability to go to sleep quickly. You know, I, we really try to be in a routine with our kids. That like Our kids are starting to get geared down for bed at 8, you know, 8.30, You know, our our oldest is starting to switch into her night owl teen self, right, at age 13 plus, where, you know, she's up at nine. But, you know, we really are pretty strong, lights-out family. And I really appreciate that you're saying just that as the adults, and I want this as the salient piece here, you guys actually live by what you're talking. Because I think it's, you're right, you know, we see it around alcohol consumption or food consumption or or you know exercising that your kids really do end up modeling a lot of what you're talking about and trying to get we we one of the things we recommend for a lot of our high high level you know people or even just our kids is if you get into bed 30 minutes earlier a night in 2 weeks you've slept an additional night that's an incredible amount of extra sleep over a year
2: yeah absolutely and and all the statistics and the research seems to show that yeah any ability you have to prioritize getting to bed like around 10 or before 10 for kids certainly is it makes a huge impact because the quality of sleep you get earlier in the night is different than the quality of sleep you'll get if you go to bed after midnight for instance and i think you're right yeah it can be those small changes it's not that we all have to switch to perfect sleep pattern overnight. But like you mentioned, even just adding 30 minutes can make a tremendous difference. And, and also with teenagers, I don't have teenagers yet. We're almost there, but, um, it's tough because when you read about the brain of a teenager, they actually do their brain shifts to a more night owl type pattern. That's actually really natural.
0: Do do teenagers have brains? (laughs) I know I didn't. I, when I turned about, uh, I think 39 is when my brain evolved.
1: Yeah, well, we uh, just to just to add to that, we're witnessing that firsthand because we have a kid who has decidedly not been a night owl. I mean, she's always been an early riser, e- even as a little kid, and um, you know, she now resists you know going to bed, or even if she's in her room, she's up reading later, and you know, you can just see the teenage brain shifting her schedule.
2: Yeah, and and they do actually. I wish that the schools would adapt to accommodate them, but they actually need to sleep. More, but they, they naturally sleep later and they go to sleep later. So they say the ideal wake up time for teenagers is actually between eight and nine. And unfortunately, most schools don't really accommodate for that, but I wish it would for their sake.
0: You know, Wellness Mom is really an incredible resource and it's very, it's really reasonable. You know, I mean, you really just are advocating for reasonable things and, and to really create a, a more harmonious, integrated family structure as the base unit, right? You must get a lot of feedback from the community asking for help. What are the big things that people are asking for help? I and mean, we've covered a lot. I mean, we're, uh, the routinizing your family and systematizing some of these processes is a big deal. Trying to get a little more sleep, getting your kids involved with their own preparation and responsible for the food. This is incredible. I mean, our, our kid could make an omelet very early and that seemed to blow people away. But what are people asking for help with?
2: that's a great question um so i would say that the ones that seem to be recurring themes other than like specific health issues are um actually the practical side of getting kids to eat the healthier food which i'll touch on in just a minute and then also the logistics of switching to a more natural lifestyle and wanting to know what what's actually more important if they have to prioritize based on budget or based on time which i absolutely understand um and so i would say for the home side first and the natural beauty side we it's often easy to underestimate just how drastically important that is because we don't see the change immediately like if most of us who eat pretty healthy if we ate like something really processed we would feel bad pretty immediately so we see that cause and effect when you put lotion on your skin that has you know 29 different ingredients of which 27 are not approved or safe you don't necessarily feel that immediately because it's just those are things that your body's actually trying to deal with and it's storing in fat tissue your liver's trying to handle it so you're not seeing the immediate cause and effect And so I think it's harder for people sometimes to wrap their heads around the importance of switching out those household products and those beauty products. Um, And so I've tried to just give really practical solutions on the blog for those steps and which ones, which are the 20% that we can switch out that make 80% of the difference. And we don't have to all give up that one hair product we absolutely love. Um, But then when it comes to the kids side, that is the tough part. And especially as they get older, because it's the old adage of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And you can lead a child to vegetables, but you can't make them eat. And so that's something I try to navigate um, early on. And part of it, I think, is if possible if your kids are young, you introduce variety early and you don't make food an issue. But I've seen really well-intentioned parents actually create food struggles, it seems like, with their kids by trying to force the healthy foods um, at a young age or and, and then that also creates the dichotomy of healthy foods equal good but you have to eat these before you can have the other foods that taste good and then it positions those foods as reward foods so then when there's any kind of stressful situation they more kids are more likely to want those kind of unhealthy foods so what's worked best for us is with little kids we like if if I make for dinner, for instance, like four or five different things and several different vegetables, they they have to only try one bite of each thing, and then they can go pick whatever they want more of. That way, they're at least getting exposure to different vegetables. Um, we also let them truly choose to skip meals if they're not hungry or if they're being picky. Um, they disguise that often. Ooh, in that I love
0: that. That's
2: yes, we I mean, do that too. How
0: many times? I mean, there are mm-hmm. needy children in the world, truly, but I have never seen one of my children die of being hungry. Exactly. And it's okay. Literally, Caroline would be like, I'm not eating tonight. And it feels really risque. She's like, I'm not eating tonight. We're like, fine, don't eat. And then she wakes up talking about breakfast.
2: Exactly. And do you, I always do you say that, feel like, like this.
0: This is a valid strategy sometimes. Is it all the time? How do I how do negotiate that?
2: Hundred percent. So the way we negotiate it is, I think, a that hunger is an excellent teacher, and so it's okay for them to actually feel hungry sometimes to decide if they're if they're willing to try foods they think they don't like. Um, but I also, what we've positioned it is that it's my job as the mom to keep healthy food in the house or to to provide nutrition for my children, and so I that's my responsibility and my box in the home management schedule is that I pick the foods in the meal plan largely, and I get those foods, and there's they're always stocked in our house their job as children is to listen to their bodies, pay attention to when they're hungry and what their body needs, and then eat that when it's available. Um, so we don't really do snacks in between meals. They don't have access to junk food really at all. We don't keep sugar in our house. So that makes it easy. They, they don't have alternatives. They can't just go get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich if they don't like what I cooked. Um, but I also never force them to eat. So if they tell me they're not hungry, I trust them. And I think that's something a lot of people in today's world don't actually feel as hunger because they're just so used to eating on a schedule. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing that children feel hunger. I think it also makes them more inclined to eat the next meal if they skipped one. And like we know as adults, of course, the benefits of fasting, but you would never ever, of course, force your child to fast. You would never withhold food from a child, but if they choose to skip a meal, I think that, you know, their liver can replenish a little bit longer without having food for a couple more hours. And there's some benefits there as well.
0: Yeah, there was a great uh, movie, was it called The Magic Pill? Do you remember this? About the benefits of just looking at removing some carbohydrate strictly in kids in disease states. And, you know, there was a young girl who was really struggling with sort of sensory motor issues she may have i think was highly autistic and her parents were just you know reinforcing the got on the wheel of like the the goldfish and the just crappy food and the juice and she didn't eat for a couple days and everyone thought freaked out and then she literally like started just grabbing fistfuls of vegetables and meats <laughs> you know i mean so i, I really yeah, she
1: went on strike for like three days she and went on strike thing when they took all the processed food away but then yeah uh,
0: there's so there's a couple things in there i think is great one is and i have to do this myself so i know that this is to be true and, and i think i heard that from you is that if i don't want my kids snacking on a bunch of crap i just don't have a bunch of crap in the house right i think i think that's that's true the second thing that i i really appreciate is that um you know, that there's not a lot of snacking involved, that like we eat meals together. And we, you know, there's been a lot of times, not a lot of times, but enough times where Caroline has been in at someone else's house and had a bunch of snacks and then comes home and is not fired up for dinner. And we are like, what have we done? You know, and we have to really put our foot down. It's like, you cannot snack your way through life. And you can definitely can't snack your way through life at someone else's house before you come home to dinner. Cause that will get you crushed.
2: Yeah, and it's a tough thing to navigate especially like for us with the you know them deciding if and when they're hungry and what they are going to eat at a given meal um that being their responsibility um it's something that i think surprises a lot of people is that i keep everything in our house clean and organic and it's high quality food but also when they're not here i don't micromanage their food at all because i want them to learn cause and effect and i know that when they eat the way that we eat all the time if they were to go eat like a donut or something they would probably feel pretty bad and they would learn from that. But either way, I don't want to create the dynamic of like any foods being forbidden short of an allergy, because I don't want that to become something that's more appealing because they're not ever allowed to have it. Um, And I found that surprisingly, when you give kids that level of responsibility and they understand that, that they have that level of responsibility, surprisingly, mine have almost always made really good decisions without me even trying to influence that. For instance, like Halloween recently, um, I I didn't tell them they couldn't go trick-or-treating. I was like, you know, hang out with your friends and we're all, we have a big neighborhood. And um, they all chose not to go trick-or-treating and then just play with their friends and they didn't get any candy. And that was their choice and I didn't have to enforce it. But I think it's because we've had so many conversations over the years. They understand the impact of food on their bodies. And they also realize that I'm not they don't get to outsource their health to me. They have to make those decisions and they're responsible for it. And so they actually take that a lot more seriously too. but
0: well, I know that Caroline has come home and even Georgia they've had stomach <laughs> You know, we noticed that Caroline started skipping cake at birthday parties and things because it made her feel
1: bad.
2: That's awesome. So just I wanted to go back
1: on the home products front. You said you made a 20 20- 20% 80 percent comparison and, and you said there were like 20% of things that we use in the home that you think are sort of like line in the sand you should switch those products what are those things
2: yeah so the e- the first easiest place I tell people to address is the laundry room because laundry products in general tend to be the most toxic um, because like that laundry smell like the fresh laundry smell is actually it's brilliance in chemical engineering, but it's these specifically designed fragrances that stay around for a really long time. That's why your clothes can smell like fabric softener for a really long time. Um, And they're designed to smell good, but they're also, we're now finding incredibly toxic. And actually like some of them are neurotoxic, especially to children. And now, so when I first started out in this, you actually truly had to make your own laundry detergent if you wanted a natural option. And now thankfully that's not the case. There's natural versions that don't have the 90% of dangerous stuff that's in most that are really comparable in price and really comparable in effectiveness. Um, And then, so I have people typically start there with the dryer sheets, the laundry, the fabric softener. um, And that's an easy switch typically to make just when you run out of something Get the natural one next. And that eliminates a large amount of the chemicals and the volatile organic compounds that are in the laundry room, which is typically the most polluted room in the house. And from there, it's easy to just cascade into other cleaning products. There's even products like Branch Basics or Dr. Or Sal Salsuds that can do double duty. So they can be used for laundry and for making homemade cleaners. And you can literally clean your entire house with that and they test completely safe. Um, so that's just an easy switch. And in fact, if you use the concentrates like Branch Basics, you actually save money because you're making your own and you're saving packaging because you're not buying bottles and canisters of all those things. Um, and then from there on the personal care side, typically, um, anything with a strong fragrance is something you want to be aware of. And there's now a lot of debate about perfumes and those kind of things as far as um, how they impact the body and storing fat tissue. Um, and there are again, natural alternatives. So that's a pretty easy switch if you can find a scent that you like um, same with cosmetics, there's some great natural cosmetics available now. Um, but, For a lot of like women especially tend to get much more um toxicity from personal care products just because we use so many more of them so i say like whenever possible simplify your personal care routine which also makes your life easier and reduces clutter in your house which is good for your mental stress as well um but then just make some simple and subtle shifts into more natural products as you run out of the ones you currently have
0: that really brought two things to mind one is that uh, juliet and i were both sort of dirtbag river guides in college, you know, de facto sport hippies. And uh, Dr. Bronner's was a way of life. And uh, <laughs> if you, could, I'm not gonna say I've used Dr. Bronner's toothpaste, but I tried it once because you could see it says right on the bottle, you, you can, you can do it. And um, so I appreciate the Dr. Bronner shout out. And the, the second thing is that we've heard recently a lot more, I mean, just, just a piece on uh, fr- a Fresh Air with Terry Gross just recently about this incredible biome. And that we were, you know, stripping off of these essential oils off our face, and that's why we were getting zits. And and that we really are over-sanitizing our house and over-cleaning our house. And I hear that, you know, we can still be clean and, and meticulous, but the level, degree, we're starting to understand the implication of skin biome and healthy and healthy gut. We really are maybe disrupting some of these things. And I I hear that this is just maybe an easy extension to say, hey, look, you know, your skin is one of the largest organs on your body. That's why they have a lot of transdermal delivery systems for drugs. I mean, you just rub the lotion on and that's your drug delivery system. And maybe we're inadvertently doing that with a lot of things that you know, affect our pro-hormones or in the long haul, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we can't really understand the downstream effects. So it's not like you're being freaky. You're just saying, hey, look, your skin is really good at absorbing these things. Maybe we don't need to absorb as much as we do.
2: Exactly. And I think modern life has convinced us that we need a whole lot of stuff we don't actually need. Like the Dr. Bronner's example is perfect. You can do 90% of what you need to do in your home with one product. You can do 90% of what you need to do in your personal care with one product. It's Life can be a lot simpler than we let it be sometimes.
1: You know, one of the things that you've done in your blog, and on, I follow you on Instagram—that's the main place I consume your content—but I love how you have sort of been very mindful of the fact that everything can be so expensive, and you offer so many ways to make all the stuff yourself. Like, I've I've used multiple times your taco seasoning mix um, recipe, among other things. But um, you know, what 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 made you sort of decide to try the make your own route? Was it just because things weren't available when you started this or?
2: It was somewhat twofold. So when I first got into this world, yeah, things were not available. You couldn't find most organic products in stores. I couldn't even find things like coconut oil in a store where we lived. And so it was partially out of necessity. And then also just um, budget wise, when we first, um, when I first started blogging, we were in a place financially where I think we made under $30,000 a year and had three kids. So budget was a very big concern. And even though thankfully we have a lot more leeway on our budget now, I still am very cognizant of that. And I think it's still important to be to make um, you know, the most use out of money and resources and and time. And so that's something that I've kept with me, even though now I could just buy everything. I think you can save so much money and and save so much packaging, which is a big thing for me because um, one thing we've touched on with personal care and with things absorbing through the skin a little bit um, is the overuse of these endocrine disrupting things, especially plastic. I think this is a problem we're going to have to face. Our kids' generations are going to absolutely have to face. And uh, I don't see it getting better, unfortunately, but it's something I'm trying to do as much as possible in my own life and encourage readers to do is to reduce plastic use and to use reusable products, reusable containers, things you can make yourself just to reduce our exposure to plastic, because we do know that things like BPA are endocrine disruptors and they, especially in children and especially pre-puberty, they can have really, really dramatic health um, effects later on. So um, so kind of twofold to answer your question, but I think it's even though now um, we have the ability to buy stuff, I think it's still important to, just for a resources side, to make things when possible.
0: Well, I appreciate that, And you know, Lisa is here wagging her finger at us because as soon as we became really good friends with Lisa, there was no such thing as a straw anymore, and we are a, we've been straw free since '83 around here. Awesome. So, uh, and 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 our kids really do. We we talk about trying to trying to reduce reduce just the amount of garbage you know four people make. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, we this I really appreciate that you know we we get to have these really high concept conversations with our you know our friends who are you know are doing high work. And the most important place where you can make radical change is at this family level. And everyone points back to it. And it turns out, you know, everyone has literally said, starts in the home, starts here, starts with sleep. And you have just been on the ground pounding the, the pavement around just trying to be organized and trying to create a better sort of ready state for your kids. Um, you know, you, you give us a glimpse of moving towards... Uh, how to systematize is, is that where you guys think you're going on? Is that what you're working on the most? What, what else are we missing? What, what, what can we wait to see? Because you're, you know, your resources are so rich.
2: Thank you. Yeah. And that's definitely, uh, I'll kind of announce it here first. That's a large percentage of our focus now is because I feel like I've written largely a lot of what needed to be written about the DIY and the why certain foods are important and why our environment's important. I've written that content. And I, I do feel like in a, a large way, to some people, it feels like I've just burdened them because they now know all these things they should be doing and they just they don't have the bandwidth to do it, which I get because I have absolutely been there. And so um, my goal now and what, what a lot of my personal writing is shifting toward is helping anyone reading, but especially women and moms, get that bandwidth back so that they can actually do those things on the ground in their families and make the changes. Because I have absolutely no doubt that when the families change and when the moms change, we will see drastic changes in our country and in our world because it all starts there. And we're raising the next generation. We're influencing the next generation. And as women, we control so much of the purchasing power in our country. And so I think to the degree that you can give women their power back and give them their bandwidth back and reduce their stress, then you can change the world.
1: I just love that. We are just so grateful for you, Katie, for all your work and taking the time to talk with us today. Where can our listeners find you? We will include all the the things you've mentioned in the show notes as well.
2: Awesome. Yeah. I would love to meet any of your listeners. Um, Wellnessmama.com is the hub for all of the blog content. There's also the Wellness Mama podcast for anyone who prefers audio. And then I'm just, I'm Wellness Mama on all the social media channels.
0: And, Katie, it sounds like you just announced your uh, campaign slogan for 2020, which I really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> Real power at yeah, home. Helping I, moms <laughs> everywhere. I love it. Declarify, <laughs> de-stress. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, you know, just we really believe that multiple voices, you know, coming from the same, same sets of problems really helping people see the scope and care and take actionable steps is how we change this. And it really starts at the family level and it starts at that that interface. So thank you so much for being such a leader here and uh, doing so much good work for the rest of us.
2: Thank you, It's it's been a pleasure to be here today. I respect both of you so much and the work that you do. And um, I read Supple Leopard years ago and it changed my life. So I'm so grateful to have gotten to chat with you today. Thanks
1: so much, Katie.
0: Thanks, Katie. Thank you for listening to The Ready State. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at MobilityWad.com.
1: The Ready State is the podcast of MobilityWad.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. Each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves.
0: We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Wad. that's W-O-D, as in workout of the day. Till next time, cheers, everyone.
1: Kelly Starrett is a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is a co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and Mobility WAD, co-founder of standupkids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got
0: it! You going a stop.